Pico Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report for WFHB. I'm David Lyman. And I'm Juliana Daly. Yellowwood Road in Brown County is once again open. The major thoroughfare near Yellowwood State Forest was closed during the summer for improvements, according to the Indiana Department of Transportation. NDOT reports the final section of rebuilt roadway through Yellowwood State Forest was reopened October 19th. NDOT expects the reopening of Yellowwood Road will help restore traffic between the Lake and Lanham Ridge Road at the north end of the State Forest. This summer, NDOT and the Indiana Department of Natural Resources spent over $4 million reconstructing and paving roads around Yellowwood. The U.S. Forest Service is planning on conducting some 18 prescribed burns across Hoosier National Forest. The Forest Service announced this week they are planning to burn some 4,500 acres of land in the state's only national forest this fall. The burns will take place in Jackson, Martin, Orange, and Perry counties in south-central Indiana. The exact dates of the burns are dependent on weather conditions and the dryness of the area. The National Forest Service is expecting to complete most of its burns before spring. But in the event of a particularly wet fall, they say they may have to resume burning forested areas. Wind direction is also a limiting factor due to adjacent roads or private homes. Controlled burns are used to improve wildlife habitat or restore woodland. In some cases, wetlands, woodlands, or barrens are being restored. In others, the fire is used to enhance oak-hickory regeneration or to maintain early successional habitat in wildlife openings. For additional information about the burns, contact the U.S. Forest Service offices in Bedford. The Hoosier Environmental Council, Earth Justice, and four other organizations have filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration. The suit seeks to make the administration follow rules, ordering utility companies to clean up coal ash ponds by April. Coal ash, which contains heavy metals like lead, mercury, chromium, and arsenic, is a byproduct of burning coal. Currently, Indiana's coal ash is mixed with water and stored in unlined pits. Indiana has about 85 coal ash pits, holding more than 60 million cubic yards of the waste, the most of any state. The ash leaches into groundwater, which people use for drinking water. This summer, the Trump administration weakened a law regulating coal ash, giving ash pit operators two more years to stop the leaching. The EPA has approved two coal ash disposal methods, capping the pits and leaving them, or moving the ash to dry, lined dumps. Scientists say that the second method is cleaner and safer, but utility companies argue it's more expensive. 
The Trump administration has nominated Bernard McNamee as a member of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC. The commission is tasked with approving and denying permits for energy industry projects. McNamee played a large part in drafting U.S. Secretary of Energy Rick Perry's proposal to subsidize the nuclear and coal industries. FERC unanimously rejected the proposal. McNamee previously worked as a lawyer defending utility and energy companies. He has also held top policy positions in the Department of Energy. In his position at FERC, McNamee is expected to support coal and nuclear subsidies. These subsidies have been previous support from the Trump administration. The Trump administration has approved Hillcore, Alaska's Liberty Project, the first oil and gas production facility in federal waters off Alaska. The project would create a nine-acre artificial drilling island and 5.6-mile underwater pipeline. Environmentalists say the project could cause spills in the Beaufort Sea and threaten polar bears in Arctic communities. Hillcore has had previous trouble with leakage in their facilities. Last year, the company worked to repair a leak from an underwater natural gas pipeline in Alaska's Cook Inlet. The pipeline released about 200,000 cubic feet of methane a day into the inlet for four months. Critics of the approval argue that in recent years, Hillcore has been the most heavily fined oil company in Alaska. State regulators wrote that Hillcore's, quote, disregard for regulatory compliance is endemic to its approach to its Alaska operations, unquote. Spills are problematic because the region is considered environmentally sensitive. A report published by the World Health Organization concludes that about 93% of the world's children under 15 breathe air so polluted that it severely threatens their health and development. That's 1.8 billion children. In 2016, 600,000 children are estimated to have died from acute lower respiratory infections from polluted air. Air pollution is one of the leading causes of poor health in children under 5. It accounts for nearly 1 in 10 deaths in that age group, according to the report. Air pollution also influences brain development and cognitive ability and can cause asthma and childhood cancer. Children exposed to a large amount of pollution can also be at greater risk of chronic conditions later in life. Children are more vulnerable to pollution because they breathe more often than adults. They are also closer to the ground where some pollutants exist at higher concentrations. For September, the average temperature for the contiguous states was 2.9 degrees Fahrenheit above the 20th century average. This makes it the fourth warmest September on record. The nationally averaged overnight low was especially warm at 4 degrees above average. This is the second highest average low for September. Twenty states across the east, including Indiana, had record warm September lows. The carbon dioxide level for the month, as measured from the Mauna Loa Observatory, is 406 parts per million. This level is at a low point because of the leaf fall in the northern hemisphere. The carbon dioxide level is lowest in October since the leaves in the northern hemisphere take up carbon dioxide over the summer. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm David Lyman. We love to hear from our listeners. Contact us about stories we've aired or if you have ideas for future stories. 
please send emails to earth at wfhb.org. And now it's time for Get Out and Hike, showcasing the wonderful wild areas of southern Indiana and beyond. This is Get Out and Hike, and I'm Jan Walker. I'm Don Carlton. I've been going to Cedar Bluffs for about 40 years now. Cedar Bluff, it's a, a natural bluff above the Clear Creek. And you can get there, you find Ketchum Road, and go until it crosses Clear Creek. And there's a little uh, parking lot, and you can walk along the creek and then climb the rocks to get up to the top. And there are glorious views there. It's a special place. It was sheltered from the last ice age, and so there are some plants there that can't be found anywhere else. It's a, a marvelously biodiverse place, despite the fact that there's so many humans traversing it. And you can get up the top and you can see this glorious view of the Clear Creek Valley and you know, the other parts of the cliffs. There's a legend that this was the spot for the last Indian battle between whites and Indians in Monroe County, right before the Tippecanoe Battle. But it's one of the favorite places to hike for people in Monroe County. And make sure you carry a, a bag with you because some of those people aren't so nice in terms of leaving trash around. Don, about how long is this trail? Well, there's several ways you can go. You can go uh, around by the creek. That takes maybe 15, 20 minutes to walk. And there's another way, if you go on Cedar Bluff Road to the highest point there and then just walk straight back through the woods. How difficult is this trail? Would it be suitable for kids or people that have a hard time walking up steep hills? When you walk around along the creek, climbing the rocks could be difficult for people who have some disabilities, but kids certainly can do it. Uh, you want to be careful about the kids because there's some very steep, very long drops on the ridges. And, uh, you know, it's worth it to get onto the ridge. And like the first time I saw two eagles in Monroe County was I was sitting on the ledge and these two eagles came within about 15 feet of me soaring by. And we've been going to Cedar Bluffs for about 40 years now. It was just glorious. Department of Environmental Management has approved locating a coal to diesel plant in the town of Dale in southwestern Indiana. That plant would process raw coal and convert it to diesel fuel. But residents of Dale are resisting, citing concerns about pollution and safety. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Wes Martin speaks with environmental activists Mary Hess and Rock Emmert of No Coal to Diesel. Can you tell us a little bit about what a coal to diesel plant is and why community members might object to that? It is using a VCC process, which is a process that was developed back in the early 1900s, and it actually crushes coal. It doesn't burn it. It crushes coal and then turns it into diesel. The hazardous pollutants and just the hazardous air materials, the pollution from the plant, and the, the concern is it's right here in the middle of town. Right. It would so, produce a whole host of toxins. Uh, they would burn off um, the chemicals, uh, whatever offall or products that uh, weren't used as mer as merchandise itself or as diesel or naphtha 
they would burn with uh, how many flares, Mary? Four flares? There's going to be for four flares, yes. And the toxic emission release has been published in the permit application. It's a whole series of very harmful toxins. And they item saying that, well, it's not enough to hurt anybody, but uh, people need to remember Spencer County is already ranked 23rd worst in the nation out of 3,132 counties. And to to even consider adding to that burden uh, is just unconscionable, especially when we're trying to get off CO2. And this would be adding massively to the CO2 release into our environment. They would crush 100 rail cars of coal daily to make the diesel and the naphtha. And this plant is, there's no other plant in the Western Hemisphere like it. There's a one in, two in China, I believe, and one in Russia. And the process was used by the Nazis during World War II and in South Africa during the apartheid. And besides that, that's the only time it's been used. And who exactly is proposing this plant, or who are the actors behind this plant? Well, Riverview Energy, and KBR is the one that's doing the modeling for them on their air quality permit. Riverview actually tried to put this plant up in Vermillion County, Indiana, back between 2010 and 2016. And what really happened, we're not sure, but the uh, Vermillion County Port Authority decided in the best interest of their citizens to not renew the option on the land. And that's when they came here. We've had, actually this Thursday, November 1st, we're having our third forum on the Cota Diesel plant. We've had two very well attended before that. We're trying to educate the public on the existing pollution that is here in southwestern Indiana and then include what may be coming with this plant. We hope is not coming. But we've yeah. also we've put up a lot of yard signs, and our first billboard just went up last week on I-64, and we're planning to get some other signs up in the near future on the highway. Right, and, and also many letters to the editor. It seems like there's at least one every week or two, if not more, and letters to legislators, conversations with legislators, private meetings with legislators, and trying to uh, talk to some of the area businesses. We've had a lengthy conversation with some of the major stakeholders in the area and continue to do that. As Mary said, it's mainly educating the public on IBEM's record to protect public health, receives an F rating, meaning we're ranked somewhere between 44th and 50th in the nation in air quality. And, and the pollution and the health is our mo most important concern, but we also have tourism down here in this part of the state. I, I'm sure we'll be greatly affected by it. We have Holiday World, which is one of the biggest amusement parks in the country, and we have our Hoosier National Forest and Lincoln Parks down here. So that's also a concern that, you know, a plant like this emitting rotten egg smell will you know, run off our tourist as far as coming to these attractions. A plant like this would have to go through some kind of local council or county council as well. Have you seen any recourse there to try to address this or bring up community concerns? The town uh, board of Dale actually annexed the land into the town of Dale. So the county council right now has had no say, but the town of Dale did rezone the property industrial so this plant would come in. And our representative stood in front of the the opponents and proponents at a, a meeting several months ago, Representative Stephen Bartels, 
and he publicly strongly endorsed that reannexation of that land. And now he's the rezoning also. The rezoning, yeah. And now he's saying that well, it, I didn't, I didn't endorse the coal diesel, but that's laughable because he endorsed the annexation, and everybody knew that that's the giant elephant in the room. That's exactly why they they annexed it. And he even said he'd been. He told me recently he's been following this project, this development for a long time, and that's another one of our concerns that there were closed door meetings going on. For Mary, how long would you say? Representative Bartell said that he'd been following it for two years, and we actually heard rumors of it last summer, but really weren't publicly notified until January of this year. And their concerns have come to fruition. The public is is very upset by that lack of transparency and lack of community buy-in. There was at one point where the town board president actually sat on the front porch of a resident back in July of last summer and told them how great this plant was going to be and that it's going to be great for Dale. And then when confronted at a town board meeting, he said he knew nothing about the plant. And this was denied all the way from September meetings into January of last year. We have a renowned chemical engineer who's created some award-winning software for the the oil industry. He's retired, Randy Ball, V-A-A-L, who's speaking Thursday night. Randy has read the permit application cover to cover, and he is shocked that they would even consider putting something so harmful, potentially extremely harmful for the school within a mile, Holiday World within five miles. Uh, And then we also have Dr. Aaron Marchand, who's local medical doctor, who is speaking again Thursday night, Dr. Norma Kryline, who's a well-known pediatrician in the area, who's been advocating for more monitors down here for several years, and to no avail. Spencer County doesn't even have monitors to address the most toxic things coming out of the area's uh, smokestacks. And we're already, as I said, ranked 23rd in the country in Spencer County. And it's like the children here are expendable. There's also a gentleman speaking Thursday night, Jerry Steckler, who's a local farmer. And this whole area down here is a farming community. So this is going to have a great impact on the farmland. We're trying to cover all bases as far as trying to educate the public, and we're hoping for a lot of people Thursday night. And I know you've probably seen where they issued the hearing for the draft permit, and we're just uh, hoping we can get a lot of people there to voice their concerns. We are determined to fight this to, to the very end, and no matter what it takes, we have scientists uh, who are working on it, looking at the permit application. Uh, very, who are scrutinizing it in depth, and there may be legal recourse. I mean, we are going to fight this with every fiber of our being, and as more people learn about the hazards and the economic cost, and not to mention the exorbitant health care costs for the people of this region uh, who are already overburdened, um, it's for financial economic reasons alone, just on its face, we do not feel that this is going to happen. Uh, IDEM has approved a coal gasification plant in Spencer County. That did not happen. They approved a massive fertilizer plant a few years ago. That has not happened. So when IDEM approves it, of course, IDEM approves everything. That's why we rank so low in the nation. That's why we have such uh, high health illness rates. We're not going to be phased at all when IDEM approves this. We think that's just part of Indiana's process, and it'll just 
make us all the more determined to do everything in our power to stop it. And we're not talking about just five, ten people. We have hundreds of people. Mary, how many signatures do we have so far? Oh, uh, we have over 1,400 at this point. And new lawn signs going up every day. Right. I mean, people here are still inquiring for lawn signs, and they're still asking about what's going on every day. Indiana may be good for business, but it's dismal for people's health. As, as we found out through this process, we tried to contact IDEM. I sent emails and never got a response, but they will respond to Riverview and KBR every day. And that seems to be the problem with the government of Indiana. They don't want to listen to their citizens. They would just soon listen to companies that are in Houston, Texas, or Connecticut. That was Rock Emmert and Mary Hess of No Coal to Diesel, speaking with WFHB News Director Wes Martin. No C2D is holding a public forum tonight on the coal to diesel plant proposed for Dale, Indiana. The public forum will start at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at the Heritage Hills High School Auditorium in Lincoln City, Indiana. Are you looking for a way to take action on environmental issues? ECA Report is seeking volunteer reporters to contribute short headline news stories as well as feature interviews. We provide all the technical training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. Give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now it's time for In Nature. Written and recorded by EcoReport contributors, past and present. This is In Nature. When the weather starts to get cold, you might notice large crickets invading your home. If they have long legs, very long antennae, and a hump-backed body striped dark brown and tan, chances are they're Diastromena acinamora. These crickets' long back legs remind many people of spiders, and they are commonly referred to as spider crickets. They prefer to live in dark, cool, moist places, including caves and crawl spaces, and so they are also referred to as cave crickets. And because of their humped back shape, some people also call them camel crickets. Diastromena acinamora are originally from Asia, and it is believed they were introduced to North America in the 19th century. They were first noticed living in greenhouses, and so they are also known by the name greenhouse crickets. However, a large-scale survey conducted in recent years showed that these crickets have become common in and around homes throughout the eastern United States. Some spider crickets may live year-round beneath your house, but others will live in nooks and crannies outside. When the weather gets cold, they migrate towards warmth, often showing up in your home at night. These crickets have very poor vision, so they feel their way around carefully with their extraordinarily long antennae. However, if they see movement and become afraid, they will jump randomly or sometimes even jump towards perceived threats in an attempt to scare them off. However, spider crickets are completely harmless. You've been listening to In Nature. Some events coming up in our listening area. Soup tasting will take place at the Farmer's Market in Bloomington on Saturday, November 3rd, beginning at 10 a.m. 
celebrate the cool weather harvest from field and farm as area chefs showcase their expertise. Participation is free while supplies last. The Indiana Forest Alliance will be hosting their annual meeting on Saturday, November 3rd from 1 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. It will be at Wasatch Lake, located at County Road 875 North in Poland, Indiana. The day includes hiking, dinner, music, and exploring. For more information and to register, call 317-602-3692 or contact Ann at indianaforestalliance.org. There will be a fall leaf hike at Brown County State Park on Wednesday, November 7th, starting at 2 p.m. The fall leaves in Brown County are expected to be at their full peak. The hike will meet at the park office. If you are a composter or looking to start, plan to attend the IU Hilltop Gardens composting class. It is on Saturday, November 10th from 10 a.m. to noon. Hilltop Gardens is located at 2367 East 10th Street. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks by November 8th. Enjoy a naturalist guided hike through Cascades Park on Sunday, November 11th from 2 to 3 p.m. Hikers will be able to experience the sights and sounds of the Cascades Waterfall. Plan for a mildly challenging walk. Registration closes November 5th and can be found at bloomington.in.gov parks. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Linda Green and Norm Holy. Andrew Brown and Sarah Vaughn edited the script. Jan Walker produced Get Out and Hike, and Cindy Bolay edited the segment. Sarah Vaughn engineered today's show. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Our interim producer is Jan Walker. Executive producer is Wes Martin. Tune in on Thursdays at 11.30 a.m. and Fridays at 5 p.m. for our weekly radio rundown of ecological news. You can also access news, feature audio, and get out and hike episodes anytime at wfhb.org. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm David Lyman. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.